Don walks in uh, expecting things to sort of be prepared for him, at least to some degree, and gets the most awkward morning of his life. They coined it. That's comforting. You weren't rejected. You weren't even considered. Welcome to They Coined It. I'm Roberta Lip. I'm Dan Jasper. We cover Mad Men episode by episode. If you want to support the show, patreon.com slash theycoineditpod. Thank you for those who are there with us. And you get early content and some extra bonus stuff. And it's the best ever. Okay, so we're going to get into the the Harry Crane piece. I liked seeing Harry this week, by the way. Hmm. I don't think we've seen very much of Harry since he thought he was signing the Rolling Stones and didn't. But I do love this idea of the computer. Like at this time, like this is all about the most boring part of advertising, which is like just straight media buying. Like the more you buy, the cheaper it is kind of thing. Sure, sure, sure. It's just fascinating how, like, you know, we have a computer. It's not our computer. Like, it's all about, like, this idea of automation being really what everyone was going after. And nothing's changed 50, 60 years later. I just kept getting images of the I Dream of Genie computer. Was its name Harold or am I making that up? Was that like a 2001 kind of reference? Like, how? how like, they all have to have, like, names. I don't know, stuff? but it took up a whole room. Well, they did, didn't they? I mean, that's what I keep hearing. Yeah, it was like if you walk into what might be a computer room, like where the IT guys sit, like that would be <laughs> today, that would be like filled with the computer. There's a, I don't know if it's a meme exactly, but there's a, a, a an archive type photo of like a crane lifting a computer in through like the side of a building. And it was like, you know, from like 63 or something like that. It was literally this enormous thing that they couldn't get up an elevator. So they take it in through this huge side window of this of this building. And it was enormous by scale. And it was like, yeah, this, ha- this whole computer, you know, was like one and a half megabytes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, you know, it'd be like the tiniest, the smallest, you know, file you could send almost. Uh, nowadays was uh, over email could took this entire computer and they had no idea how they would even fill all that up back then. It's just fascinating. Anyway, the more things change, the more things stay the same. Field Trip, written by Henner, Heather Zhang Blatt, it's a new name, and Matthew Weiner. Directed by Chris Manley. Original air date was April 27th, 2014 and takes place over Thursday, March 27th, Friday, March 28th, and Monday, March 31st, 1969. So this is the one where Don surprises Megan in L.A., where he reveals he's been suspended for the firm, causing her to kick him back 3,000 miles east. Betty proves that the bitch is back on a school trip with Bobby and in a conversation with Francine. Oh, dear. <laughs> Harry Crane is frustrated by the lack of technology at Sterling Cooper and Partners, Don takes being courted by Wells Rich Green seriously after getting and gets an offer from them, uh, which he uses to get back in with S, C, and P. This was a great episode. This was a great episode. Fucking great. There's things about it I don't care for. Betty and Bobby. Um, but this was just a great episode where lots happens and it's exhilarating and you don't know what's next. It's everything you love about Mad Men. It's consequential. It's surprising. It's very Mad Men. There's so much that's sort of like signatures of the show in this hour. So we're going to get into it. Without it feeling like what we dealt with so much in season six, which was like all these nods back. It was just the integrity of the show coming forward Sure. without it being self-referential. There's one big nod back here, which I'll get to. I won't reveal it here. Mm. I'm going to tease it but there was a big nod back for mm-hmm. anyone who caught it. But it start well do you want to start first of all with the opening he's in he's watching movies again. Don's uh, spending his day at the movie theater. And I've never had a strong analysis of Don at the movies. Like it's Don at the movies. Other people have had more to say about it than I have. It, first of all, it's just a great classic shot of Don at this point because we've seen it so many times. So watching his wardrobe become more 
modern and more casual is just apparent in that scene because it's like, mm. oh, here, we're here again looking, speaking of homages, right? He's also not playing hooky from work, by the way, in this in this instance. It's interesting what he might be experiencing. Like, am I allowed to go to the movies if I'm not playing hooky? Do I feel more <laughs> guilty? Like, you know, what does yeah. it feel like to be not playing hooky? And I don't know what the film is. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out. Something I'm thinking something Italian because of that music, but then it really looked like L.A., so I'm not sure. It really looked like L.A. to me, and it was this beautiful woman in a convertible with the sunglasses and the headscarf, which we were like just Megan was. talking yeah. about, yeah. right? Well, she didn't actually have that scarf, but I'm just, it is that, but then she the gets look. one later, right? Yeah. So that's that, that's that young, gorgeous woman driving around L.A., being chased by a hot, young, elusive man, yeah. but in an old-timey car. Yeah, that's great. That's know, really good. I didn't pick up on any of that. Proud that's of myself cool. to catch that one. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking it must have been an American film. It was color, right? That was a color film. And I don't think in Europe there was a lot of color films still. I'm sure there were some, but I, I think- it's 1969. Was... I don't know. What I do not know. Don't know either. Anyway, good stuff. But it does kind of presage Don going to L.A. to see Megan, even though he doesn't know he's going at that point. Yeah. Well, right? we've got the scene with where he calls Don, which is significant. And also I have a nitpick. <laughs> see, to me, the line of the episode that I'm going to like thread through comes soon, comes later, comes in L.A., which is Don saying, I know how I want you to see me. A lot of this episode is to me for Don but for a lot of people but especially for Don is like how how you're seen like the the mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. the through some kind of broken mirror or something so Don calls Dawn and is not one bit relating to what she's dealing with is simply just like barking orders and being demanding he still wants to be seen as the great powerful uh executive that he isn't or at least as her boss. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know, and she's just trying to get her fucking job done. My nitpick is, it was quite dark outside Don's apartment window when he hung up. Uh-huh. And you really see that because he then calls Alan Silver and there's this incredible contrast back and forth. It's almost a mirror image. One is pure sunlight and, or, you know, and warm tones and natural the beautiful wooden desk and the other is this dark dawn, but they, they really almost are mirror images. So anyway, the darkness was apparent. So I did a little Google the sunset on that date, March 27th, 1969 sunset was at six sixteen. I don't under, so, and it was darker than sunset, you know? And I, I don't understand why the office is so busy and bustling at let's say 7 p.m. <laughs> it's the kind of listen, it's the kind of nitpick that they tend to get right on Mad Men, right? I'll I'll posit a uh, uh I'll counter that a little bit in terms of the the nitpick. First of all, it get it it's getting dark and let's just say general area, forget about midtown Manhattan. But it's getting dark a lot sooner than sunset. Sunset is like the end of it getting dark, so it's virtually dark at sunset. Although in the city, with the buildings where the sun is behind buildings a lot sooner, it gets darker earlier. Not, that doesn't mean it's like you know pitch black an hour before. I'm not saying that. But it's generally darker, like if you're inside and you're not exposed to the sun, then it may appear dark, darker earlier. So it could be close to 5, 4.45 or 5, where the office would be busy and still pretty dark on a, on a March afternoon. That's my thought. Well, thank you. Thank you, Dan, for explaining that to me, how sun works. Uh, no. Okay. Well. Disagree. And the other thing the city has to offer is artificial light, to, to some, especially in Midtown. So it can actually seem a little warmer and lighter, even, even back then, because there was actually some of that. Anyway. I don't think that's right. I don't think, I don't think in at March 27th, it feels like nighttime at, at five o'clock. Uh, the argument I thought you were going to come back with is, you know, busy office, but it's not busy. It's busy no, after. It, no, yeah, it's no, busy after hours. It's not busy at Dawn's desk. It's not a phone ringing off the hook. No, no, no. I could more I could more easily take some sort of expression, you know, the way uh, 
Godfather is light and the first couple scenes of the Godfather. It's all indoor, outdoor, light, dark, loud, quiet uh, as a as a as a means of expressing the difference between the Don's character and the rest of the world. So that's uh, I'll take that as well. Some some expressionism on there. So this call with Alan Silver. (laughs) Is this all we're going to get of Alan? Silver? do we see him again? I want more Alan Silver. Uh, I mean, she says she's going to fire him, which I don't blame her. Well, we've got to talk about our girl. You know, it's it's uh, by today's standards, all of that is appalling, right? The idea of anybody <laughs> calling anybody's husband, come get, come get your girl. But the whole premise is wild. <laughs> but it's not wild for 1969. No, it's no, just it's, gross. it's <laughs> the fact that it's true to life is wild. Yeah. You know, the whole the whole, uh, 360 wild for me. Uh, yes, it's wild to see it. Yes, it's wild that it was that it was happening. And that that was not uncommon. And Alan Silver thinks that's his job. And the episode goes in such a different direction with Don and Megan. But Megan, that's some fucked up behavior. Yeah, I mean, she's she's displaying a a disturbing lack of confidence, really, um, with with her actions and and all of this that that Alan describes to Don. It is concerning to me, like. To me, that that is that does indicate some some mental instability that I don't tend to see in Megan. But that's that's no joke. What he's talking about, what he's described. No, but I but I I would I would stop short of mental instability. I I would suggest that if you are truly you could be completely mentally stable and still act out of desperation, which I I I would put her. Other than that, other than that description by Alan, she was Megan, crying in the last interaction with the director, right? That's what he said. Yeah, yeah. Other than Alan's, other than Alan's description that we get from Alan, we don't see Megan acting mentally unstable. I don't think. I don't think there's any other evidence. This on its own, through Alan, we're hearing possible, but I, that alone, I don't think I'm not ready to uh, diagnose her. I think it's an indication of potential mental instability. It's a data point. That that's my. That, we agree. That's definitely a data point. And and the fact that you, that it is framed off for her that she that she presents to us and to Don and to the world or to parts of the world like none of that's happening, but that is happening. Um, I just think it's it, it's a big data point. So I'll state this as a contrast. We've seen Megan lack confidence before and she's had Don sometimes for sex like we saw with the Jaguar pitch and again when she comes out when he comes out to see her in this episode she again you know jumps him <laughs> as uh, you can almost feel her need for confidence when she sees him uh, and they and they go they start to go at it um I think that's typical of Megan but that I think we agree is not in any way indicating mental illness. I think what Alan is describing could be if it were like some huge pattern, which he's sort of starting to indicate because it's a few few incidents here. One of them culminating in like she's crying in front of the director or something. It's not good news, (laughs) but I but I do think that it's personally I would need to see more or hear more to feel confident that she's really mentally unstable. You're saying it's enough for you, but I'm I'm not I'm not quite there yet. I'm saying it's a red fucking flag that there could be some mental instability there. I'm not I'm not signing her away. <laughs> okay. But That's it is good. a dramatic to what to your point, it is a dramatic contrast from I need a little loving to boost my to boost my confidence Completely. from that to I am stalking and panicking and not willing to engage with Alan about what happened because there's got to be some shame there. Like, she's covering something up. And that gets lost in the rest of the episode. You're right. It does. It does. And it's it's a big deal. Like, like Don's concern, how it got handled by these two men right. <laughs> who are daddying her is not great. But, like, it was a legitimate concern. It is get-on-the-plane-worthy in in my opinion, it, it no, it it, it definitely it definitely is concerning. It's all kinds of concerning. But I guess the way Megan acts the rest of the episode to me is extremely rational. Totally, I think it's totally in keeping with her character. I think it's totally in keeping with who we've seen her to be. So that's why I I, I can more easily dismiss that as an impetus 
for getting Don on the plane. That That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I just didn't want to get, I don't want it to get lost because I think it's, because it does get lost in the episode because they don't stick with it and they go this other direction. But it's, oh boy, that's, that's, you know, that's a side of Megan we don't know. So truly, once we do get past, you know, him, him coming out there for that reason, they go at it, but then instantly it kind of turns into this discussion of, it doesn't start with her challenging him, but it does kind of get into that over, you know, well, you were just able to pick up and come out here. You must not be busy, you know, that kind of a thing, because he's usually too busy for anything. By the way, I want that apartment so badly, as is. I don't need updates. I don't care. <laughs> it's so lovely. It's a nice TV in there. <laughs> which, which converts into a sleeper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, she comes in with the groceries, she jumps on and she's so happy to see him. Oh, my God, you, you're you surprised. Like she states the words, you surprised me, which I thought was very cute. They have the sex right there on the couch. And then he starts going in on the <laughs> you don't need to be so insecure. You know, I hope you're not being whatever words he uses about how in, insecure, how desperate he says desperate. And then says desperate. she immediately starts buttoning up her. She backs up. She buttons up her clothes. She feels absolutely invaded. What the fuck is going on here? which is yep. a completely appropriate reaction. So her first set of reactions is to you and Alan yeah. ganging up on me, conspiring behind me. Again, not a dr- she doesn't cop to or address or even give credibility or whatever to what they're concerned about, which I don't blame her because at that moment she's she's feeling so duped. So that's like part 1 of the of the dupe and of the beginning of unraveling and revealing of what's happening here. And then, and then it gets to the, like the marriage itself and what's Don up to. Because she feels ambushed, which is ultimately what it is. And Don steps in every puddle in the sidewalk. I'm like, don't say Alan called you. Alan called me. <laughs> <laughs> don't say desperate. Well, you're acting desperate. You know, like every single trigger he fires. Everything. It goes as badly as it can go. Because Don thinks he's talking to a child. But Don is a child. To me, that's really the problem here. Oh, that comes out so clearly. It's, she's saying, why, why are you never at the office? What's going, you know, why? I never hear a typewriter. I never hear a typewriter. That's not true, he says. I'm typing alone in my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Now I have to fire him. What am I going to do? How am I going to find someone new? You don't have to fire anyone. You just have to stop acting like a lunatic. What did he say? Megan's been keeping all of this inside. So not only is she not doing as well in, in, in her career as she wants to be, but she's consumed by, and we have not seen that until now, who is Don fucking? What is going on? He's never, he lies to her all the time. She doesn't know what the lie is. On top of, <laughs> I'm out here because I thought I was coming with you and you didn't come and you fucked the whole thing up. And I'm the whole reason I'm here struggling started with you right she even says right in the beginning did you right, did get you fired. get fired yeah. <laughs> he's like oh she's like oh you're here did you get fired and he's like, like oh you <laughs> right. and he's like no 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 let's let's just fuck what do you mean fired it, 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 it's a wonderfully written scene for all these reasons that you're pointing out her reactions are genuine it's progressing in like this very linear believable uh, sequence from one thing to the next. And when he says that he hasn't been working, I mean, it's Betty all over again, right? I lied because I didn't want to, I couldn't bear to tell you I'm fixing it. Here's what happened. I told them who I was. And it's like, but this isn't Betty. Like she knows who you are. Megan started by knowing the big secret about you. I was your secretary. I know what you're like when you're alone. Well, yeah, that's that that certainly points to the cheating. What's dawning on her, it's that it's that line. Yeah, you, know, you got up every day and decided you didn't want to be with me. She has every right to think that. It might not really be true. Like if you're watching Don, anyone who's <laughs> anyone who's screwed up can identify with I wanted to fix it before telling you, right? Like that's that in and of itself is not the worst thing in the world. Maybe under the circumstances here it's more egregious. Everybody can identify with wanting to fix it before revealing what, what, what's going on. There's also 
when you are covering something up, you double down on your covering up. Don probably could have taken plenty of days off during the week and come and seen Megan if he was really going to work every day. <laughs> yeah, if he didn't have to cover. He would you know, absolutely for- take days off in the week to go see Megan or maybe check in on the other office. Because he's not cheating on her that we can tell right now. That goes back to what I was going to say, pointing to Don as a child. I've been good. <laughs> and we've talked about this before going back to Betty. He looks at that as the one unforgivable mistake and everything else and all the lying and and covering up that he does about everything else mm-hmm. isn't what damages his marriages and his relationships. He only sees cheating as the, the bad boy. And I haven't done yeah. that. So when he does say later on the phone, I know I know how I want you to see me. Her response is, after all this time, you don't know me. Yeah. And to me, that's that's it. That's the whole thing. And, and that's not that's not even just the Megan and Don marriage, which is big enough to be contained in that line. What have we been saying about what at least what I've been saying? My my thesis on on Megan this whole time is she's exactly as advertised. She is pure in that sense. She's not playing games. She says what she means. She's not the cynical person. And we're we, we, from day one, we've been expecting her to be because she slept with her boss. But she's not that. And I think every step of the way with the marriage, whether it was her conversations with Sylvia or how she's handled Don, it's always been in the, the Howard Johnson's incident. She's always kind of straight shooter. And that to her, this is the last bit. You got up every day and decided you didn't want to be with me. And you still don't know what the you're still hiding behind trees with me. So I am a little (laughs) a little uh, something about what we did just learn about her. So there there is more to (laughs) Megan than just what we're and the fact that she's covered again, that there's there's some cover up on her end. But putting I will put that aside and address this as as pure. I can defend Don not in his behavior, but in his concern, because the concern, what he said before, I know, I know I want you to see me is what he said was, I didn't want you to think of me that way. I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't want to, I didn't want to let you down, essentially. He doesn't use yeah. those words. And I think that's very, very human. And I think people in relationships have expectations. How dare you think that I would think that is a very common Crazy making, nobody's reading minds. And when you feel bad about you, it's hard to be magnanimous about the other person is going to hold you in the best possible light. Mm. Don got essentially (laughs) fired-ish by revealing something that had given him deep shame. But now he's got a new deep shame, which is the getting fired for it, right? And, And how he acted. And that's hard to share with your wife I'm not saying Megan was wrong to say that or think that, but but I, I just see very clearly both sides of that that piece of it, which is mm. I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want you to think a certain way of me and the other person, I would never, how dare you think that I would think that of you? And I think <laughs> that spiral or whatever circle is is very just human. Well, what did Betty say? That poor girl, she thinks... The best way to get close to him is by loving him, right? I mean, that's this is the other side of that coin. Yeah, and I'll, uh, uh, you know, we the the mentally unstable debate may rage on, but you know, Megan, I think understands relationships and understands marriage, even with her own fucked up parents. I think the way that she's demonstrated the way to approach a marriage and a loving relationship has been very appropriate. It's subjective, you know, business, of course. No, no, I I agree. And Don does not. Yeah, no, I think her one mistake is thinking Don would be different with her. Yeah. Is that thinking that Don being how Don has been was was partly Betty's fault. <laughs> well, that's been the slow slow dawning on, on Megan now for two seasons or a season and a half almost. Yeah. Of like, oh, geez, this is not, <laughs> I cannot, this is not fixable. Uh, you know her expectations are of a normal marriage she's yeah. not upset that he got fired she's upset that he didn't want to be with her but she's also upset that there's been lie upon lie upon lie upon lie every day since that happened 
and with no attempt to reach out to her and connect to her and be part and be a marriage and a partner to her. Yeah. She's not wrong to want that. She's just she's just with the wrong guy for that. <laughs> yeah, she's just naive to expect it. Stop pushing me away with both hands, right? Like she she doesn't see it as she's not spouting anger at him. The the anger is is or the frustration is that I still can't get close enough to you for you to tell me the truth. As angry as she is, she's not throwing anger at him. Right. And she thinks there's some version of close enough to Don <laughs> that no. he'll tell her the truth. And there isn't. It's only, there isn't. it's what Dr. Faye said. You only like the beginnings of things. But that's not an unreasonable expectation on her part. Of a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. But of a Mrs. Draper. Forget about <laughs> it. Never going to happen. So that's what happens in L.A. Oh, she boy. basically, I mean, it's, it's all but calling off the marriage. There's no, they don't say the word divorce, but- this is now a separation. For the moment, although what I sort of saw, even by that phone call, as much as she's sticking to her story, she's less angry and she's honestly probably more panicked, even though she's not speaking from panic. All her mm. words are very clear and cool and correct and boundary setting. In the perfect moment when she said, you need to get in a cab and go away. Yeah. That was perfect. That looked like the end of a marriage. It makes perfect sense in that moment. And then later you you have all these other feelings come back. The panic and the love and the missing and the, all of that. And then you hear his voice. And as much as you're angry at it, you also, it's the man you're in love with. So I feel like despite the words that were said, there was a softening on her part by the end of the episode. And we shall see. And we're certainly pushing towards, certainly pushing towards something. Yeah, I didn't see that much softening, to be honest. Because it's on the phone when she says, stop pushing me away with both hands. So she still is... Those are still pretty definitive feelings and words on her part, I thought. And he says, I love you, and she doesn't. So that's another sign of distance. No, she's keeping she's keeping her cool. But I just think a few hours later, six hours, whatever, like it, it's sitting differently in your body. Sure. No, no, no. That's these there's stages of all this. To what you're saying, her point, her words did not belie anything, right? She's keeping it cool, but. She's probably less resolved for any future decisions than she was a few hours ago. So Don now has to come back home. I mean, they're in a way, they're each kind of pulling their lives together at this point. Because now he's like, <laughs> no job, no marriage for the most part. Don comes home and he's like, I have to fix it. It's time now I fix it. Let me start doing surgery. He calls the Wells Rich Green people. And, you know, the, the, the famous words, let's have dinner. And, you know, they're ready to bite. They're ready to, to make a hefty offer, which they have that coy little exchange. This Emily Arnett, <laughs> kind of, she looked a lot like, what was her name? The uh, Bethany Van Nuys. <laughs> I, got, I, got a, I got a Bethany Van Nuys vibe from Emily Arnett. <laughs> to me, she, looked, she reminded me of, um, of Anna Draper's niece. That's oh, okay. actually who I thought it was for a moment. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But it was neither of them. No, it was, it was a, Emily Arnett. It was Emily Arnett. The uh, hired hand, you could say. Yeah, the whole thing was was wild because she introduces herself familiarly in a familiar way. Don says, I don't know who you are. And, you know, it's slowly revealed that uh, this is someone that the Wells Rich Green people thought would seal the deal with Don Donnie Draper. And they play it off very cool. It isn't definitive because they did such a good job of, of denying it. But, I mean, yeah. Sure felt pretty definitive. I think the chuckling at the end was, was for me, sealed it. They, um, <laughs> and then the psych out of... Knocking on the door. Well, yeah. I mean, you you, you follow Don and, and th that meeting, that dinner was at the Algonquin. And she's staying in the Algonquin. And I'm unclear if... It, where Roger is, I don't. I have lost track. Yeah, of wherever where wherever is. Roger is. But that's that was a definite door. psych out. Where you're, you're. You even think maybe when he leaves Rogers, and I don't want to skip that scene. But when he leaves Rogers, like he's lingering in the hall. Like is she across the hall? Like it was. It was. It was a good psych out. I thought. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I got. Uh, I there was definitely a uh, a sight. Uh, you know, a psych a sight gag, if you will, uh, of of seeing Roger's door. I didn't I didn't see much beyond that. Um maybe it was there, but but it is. You're intended to think well maybe he's but I think also it's telling. I think the fact that they that they created that confusion in that moment was actually meaningful. 
as good a sight gag as it was in the moment. I think it tells us also about where Don is, the prostitute, and, and whether it's going to that party house uh, that they always go to. Don doesn't partake when he goes there. He's usually pretty discreet. Uh, the stewardess with uh, Sal being maybe the most <laughs> the, mo- the, the, the most indiscreet uh, behavior we've seen him in front of colleagues. And even today we saw another uh, we we saw another stewardess stewardess yeah. with whom he is having a flirtation, a harmless flirtation. Right, right. So we we're I think, but I but I think we're meant to believe for the most part Don's closed for business while yeah, yeah. while while he's while he's home. And with you know again the setup is is strong. He's now se- you know quote unquote separated from Megan. What's Don going to do next? We know his behavior and his addictions. So the sight the sight gag of knocking on Roger's door, to me is also a way of telling the audience, yeah, that's not where Don is right now. Maybe in the past he'd been he'd have been there, but he's not there now. He's actually good. He's ta- this Wells Rich Green thing. They kind of revealed themselves to be just another whorehouse, which is what he's called his own firm. <laughs> so he's kind of rejecting that, that whole notion, not not just the firm itself. Maybe he would have considered it if they didn't pull that stunt. Who knows? Right up to the end, right? You know, we, we get to the end point where they give him these crazy terms and he says, because we're thinking the whole time he could, he's got this other offer in his pocket. And I think that that stunt really revealed a lot about Wells Rich Green to Don, but also revealed a lot about Don to us right now. What is this? That's a nice offer. They're really trying to make it sound like it's not a demotion. So I take the job. That's your advice. That's what you want to do. Well, I know what you want me to do. Go away. This scene is so great between the two of them. There's so much here. Don doesn't come back and say, give me my job back. There's so much unspoken between these two men. They have so much history between them that never really evolves. <laughs> but it's, they, they... There's all that loyalty talk, right? Of, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. you know, Don Don is so furious at Roger. What what happened to loyalty? This whole agency was my idea. Right. I dragged you into it and now you're firing me. Yeah. And Roger saying, I pulled you out of the bottom of a fur box. You know, so they've got those tensions. They've got this incredible fondness for one another. I mean, Roger just last week left with this potentially adversarial situation with Cutler, but also didn't he try to, he tried to get jokey with, um, with Lou Avery and that tanked, you know, he doesn't have a buddy anymore. He doesn't. And he's also, he's not the decision maker. He was, even if he thinks he is, we know that he's not right. Well, he says he's, but he's the president. Apparently we learned that later. And what? That's an indication of the decision maker. He thinks he is, but that's, he's not the decision maker. He thinks he is. I just loved seeing the two of them hash this stuff out with all of that in their backgrounds. They, they, they love each other. They don't trust each other. They don't understand each other. They never have. And then Roger says, fine, I miss you. I love that. I miss you is a theme in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Because Megan is like, you don't miss me. So so yeah, so 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 it ends with him basically unilaterally, capital letters unilaterally, bringing Don back in. Show up, c- come in Monday. We'll see how that goes. And I think that look, that's that's what Don wanted. That is what Don wants. What he came for. This is just such great Mad Men writing. It just really is. It, it, it is. You don't know what he's there for. You think that's what he's there for, but you don't know. You never, you're never clear. And it's a great outcome and it's a great scene. And is it a great outcome? Because it was unilateral. <laughs> and Roger forgot that he fired Jane or whatever that. Of course. Happens all the time. And, and Ro- But Roger also, <laughs> I think this is a bit of a panic move. He doesn't realize it, but it's a panic move. He knows Don's ready to walk. That's why he you know, presented him the letter. And life without Don at that firm for Roger would would be no fun. It's dreary. And Roger can't have that. But that's the panic move because he knows he's doing he <laughs> why do you think he wasn't in the next day? <laughs> well, we'll get there, but right. you know, he doesn't want to have to face the music because he knows he's done this. I also had the thought, tell me if if the spaghetti sticks to the wall at all. I also had the thought like Roger felt a little backed in a corner in terms of the depth of the confrontation with Don. And and so he was just like, fine, come back. Like that's easier than, than me actually standing here and saying, I don't want you back. 
Do you think there was any fear about of, of that in there? I think that's baked into the panic move, right? Mm. I think what you're describing is essentially the panic. Is like, oh, geez, I can't engineer this and I'm not politically you know, motivated enough to go in and have a meeting with the partners and convince them. So I'll just do this. I'll do the the blunt instrument <laughs> approach and I'll I'll fix it in post. Fix it later. Yeah. Fix <laughs> exactly fix it in post. Exactly so right. That's what happened. All right. Let's take a break. We're gonna break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about Harry the Crane, Betty the Bitch. Oh now that's enough. That's enough. And Don and Roger in the firm. Okay, so Betty. I mean, Betty has a few scenes. I, I mean, I, I want to hear what what your 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 take on each of it. But you just lump these things all together, right? The the field trip with Bobby, the discussion with Francine, and her discussion with Henry. It's all one big message about Betty. But go ahead. Sure. I loved the scene with Francine. It was great to see. <laughs> it's hard Francine. not to love that scene. <laughs> you know, Betty all showing off. That's Attorney General. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Not knowing that she's a travel agent, not real estate. <laughs> exactly. Horrible. But the bulk of it is, is this, this field trip with Bobby. Or at least what felt like the bulk of it. It was. Your voice was in my head going, like, do we need, do we need all this? Like, why, 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 why? It was just so much. <laughs> and I got to tell you, Bobby number 77... I don't even know if it's his fault. I I don't think he's well written. There's nothing I, I don't get I don't get him. Everything mm-hmm. is he comes off very sweet and we know that Bobby has a history of being like a really kind of rotten and and trouble and then he does the move of giving so just to to set the table as we say. Betty has this lunch with Francine where she's basically challenging Francine's decision to go back to work and of course all that means is she's questioning her own life. Of course as she's defending that it's the better way to be and aren't they all worth it. Yeah. So she goes home and, and there's uh they've got a new housekeeper, Loretta. And um, I, I always say it like, like what's his name says it on cheers. But anyway, Loretta, Loretta, right. <laughs> that's a deep cut folks. Right. So Bobby's got a field trip tomorrow and Betty's all, I'll go clearly to fill her own again, desperate. I would say desperation is a theme that we've, okay. we've said 25 times already. Including the teacher, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so then, so then the next day, it's this. They go to this farm, and the teacher—it's the teacher's father's farm—and they're milking a cow in a barn. Da, 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 da. And then the great sin of it all is Bobby. You know, they they lay out a picnic, and Betty comes back from washing her hands, and Bobby has traded her sandwich, which was a dick move. It's a dick move. And 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 he was like, I didn't think you'd eat, which which I thought was funny because there's a lot of Betty not eating in his history and probably in his current history because she's she's diet queen eating she disorder. She has a track person. record. Sure. Yeah, I don't know if she's eating disordered. Said it. I just find this. I find the scenes kind of interminable. I, I don't enjoy this Bobby. I don't think they're. I just don't think it's interesting. I don't think he's interesting. And watching Betty take something, which which did suck, but take it all so very, very, very personally and then and, and be so punitive. I just. Well, that's the point. It's a vehicle. All of this is just a vehicle. It's just a for, long vehicle. We could have we could have just jumped in an Uber instead of like taking the <laughs> like the train to the airplane to the. Uh, uh, uh. We're, we're, we're setting up this, you know, kind of idyllic uh, road trip, a uh, 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 field trip with Bobby's. Um, yeah, where she drinks the milk, it's very charming. You know, that's the last thing you'd think Betty would do. Yeah, she volunteers to to be the one to drink out of the giant can, the warm cow's milk. Yeah, of uh, unpasteurized dairy. I probably didn't dislike it as much as you did because I I found the the setup interesting. I liked seeing Betty like appear to be a loving, <laughs> generous mom. So when Bobby gives away her sandwich and trades it for gumdrops or whatever. It is punitive, and it is someone who can't see past the end of her nose, uh, which is the old Betty, and we haven't seen that in a while. And we, you kind of think, look, when the kids are older, they're not screaming toddlers anymore. At least, at least two of the three things. You know, she might mellow out a bit as a as a as a parent, and that certainly hasn't happened. So we're we're getting that 
that information through this uh, storyline. Again, little little prolonged, but there's that. And then there's the Francine thing, which means she's just a, you know, I'm better than you. It, it's all the same shit we've ever seen. And nothing's changed with this one. We know that she likes being the wife of this important man. Yeah. We also, when she, when she first did that project in effort to get to know him <laughs> and to get closer to Henry, you know, we, we talked about how she really liked working, how she really was finding fulfillment through, yeah. you know, having a job. And she's just never like, like what we said about Trudy, like she's never tried it on for herself. She's never considered maybe, maybe a career would be something it's just not something she's open to so she so all she can do to francine is is attack it yeah and justify her own actions as they get older there's less and less to do being alone in the house all that time i really needed a challenge well there's still plenty of challenges ahead believe me fine i needed a reward i thought they were the reward i don't know Maybe I'm (laughs) old-fashioned. Betty Draper, that is indeed how I would describe you. But then even the conversation with with Henry. I mean, there's this this level of introspection, and Henry, as always, says exactly the right things. It's, am I a bad mother because they don't don't love me? Because you're acting, but but you're acting like another kid in front of them. Being a parent is like, it's, it's, it's just, taking the high road at times when you don't need to because there's a larger point to the development of your kid. So when your kid gives away your sandwich, you can express you're disappointed and then that's not the right thing to do, but she rubbed his nose in it. And then later again that day when she's explaining how he ruined the whole day for her. That's horrible. That's horrible. And then denying herself dinner because she's apparently not hungry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, she's just rotten. That's awful. But, But the point is, the Francine thing, the conversation, the roach, it's all intended to give this one message. We're not getting multiple messages here. It's all it's all it's all part of one message in 18 minutes of screen time. Again, it's a broken mirror. I I know how I want you to see me, kids. Mm-hmm. I want you to see me as the most loving mother to be. Lo- I mean, she loves them when they're babies and they're and toddlers and hugging her and then as soon as they start to yeah. start to be some other way, she's like what what's wrong with you? And what's wrong with me? And yeah, it's just, ugh. Okay. Can we go to the office? Let's go to the office because evidently Gray Advertising had this story written about them and their computer, their wonderful computer, which was intended, I suppose, to streamline and make most efficient the process of buying media, which again is where an agency's greatest margins are, or at least were. To me, what was most interesting about this is watching Harry be fearless and I don't give two fucks what you think of me. And and Cutler, Cutler has that great line. You have stiff competition, but I believe you to be the most dishonest man I've ever worked with. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Delivered wonderfully. Wonderfully. And and Harry's Harry's basically like, I don't give a fuck. He's yeah. like, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. This meeting is over. I'm I don't I don't want to hear this. I don't need I this. I ask for it and nobody even bothers to tell me no. Now part of this is juxtaposed with the Peggy storyline where we once again have Peggy you know we're watching Peggy's powerlessness in the face of having a horrible boss Lou Avery he cuts her every which way he's just desperately rude to her and I thought if she responded like Harry it probably wouldn't go that well for her Mm. but it is a choice how you respond to somebody treating you is a choice yeah. Even in, you know, again, Harry could have gotten fired for, for saying what he said. And yeah, it's more likely that Peggy would. <laughs> Although I don't know if Lou has that power. Really? Maybe not. Maybe not. She just wouldn't. She wouldn't stand up and look at Lou and be like, yeah, I don't need to hear this and I'm gone. <laughs> right. It's a fair, I think, comparison. Well, all that's all true. And all I'll say for everyone who's seen the rest of the show without being spoilery. There's an image of Peggy not giving a fuck later on that I think is a wonderful evolution of what you're saying. I'll just, I'll stop there. For those who've never seen a GIF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In your life, yeah. But no, but I think your point is, is spot on because it is part of what you're saying. This moment in time for Peggy is a low point. 
and it's part of an evolution where she gets she gets to the other side of that. Yeah. Which is great. Which is really it's part of what's so great about her story. So it's it's totally worth mentioning. And I get part of her dissatisfaction is I guess Lou didn't put in for the Clio Awards for right. nominations anything that he didn't personally work on or couldn't put his name on. Therefore, a lot of Peggy's work got the shaft. We start by finding out that she didn't get a Clio nomination. The St. Joseph spot, the Rosemary's Baby. She's like, I'm never going to do better work than that, which that's an interesting. And that I couldn't help but think, while that may be true, it also may not be true. Every copywriter thinks that. But it's also her attachment to Ted. Yeah. It's her last connection. It's her last sort of tangible uh, connection to Ted. Regardless. It's not until later that she finds out that Lou didn't even submit it. Although Lou says Jim didn't, but then later Whatever. somebody else says no, that Lou, it, it was Lou, it's totally Lou. But yeah, she wasn't even submitted for it. And she's just, so it's just like, you know, death by a tiny, a thousand tiny cuts. So these are bad times for Peggy. They've been bad times for Harry, but we get a lot of Harry here and we're getting to see that, A, he, he's, he's really good at calming the client down, which was his first directive. Uh, who was worried because he saw this article about Gray's computer. Jim calls him in to kind of, you know, quiz him on what's going on, realizes that Harry's like bluffing left and right with these clients, and and that's not an ethical thing. At the same time, Jim also recognizes, like, kind of like he did with uh, Joan in the last episode, mm. like, if you had the thing that you're asking for, we might actually be a better firm and serve our clients better. I don't want to have these conversations just because they're seeing an article in, you know, about Gray's computer, they're going to come in and bug us about it. Let's just get the damn thing. And I think that's Jim's uh, Jim's approach. Yeah, I think that's a really good observation about Jim that I, I certainly had not made. You know, Harry says what he says and Jim cuts him down, but he also listened. Yeah, and he re- he's got and new he responds. Eyes. He's Yeah, he pays attention. And he's, and he's looking at this firm, whether it's Joan, whether it's Harry – Objectively, which Bert can't, Roger doesn't, Don doesn't, right? Yeah. He keeps his bird's eye view and he keeps his eye on the future, both. Because it's only six to 12 months. If you're merging or you're taking a new job or you're joining a new office, you've got six to 12 months tops to really be objective and look at things. After that point, you're of it. You're in it. You're you're part of it. I think Jim still has that that ability to be fresh eyes on things. This is a good example. Well, yeah, and I thought I think he also it's his job as as the senior like he's the only one really. Yeah, I hear what you're saying about the timing, but I think that he's got an actual commitment to doing his job, which is overseeing things, and 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 he's apparently good at it. But that would have been Rogers. Yeah, but job, Rogers never <laughs> job or Jones. Right, Joan they didn't did. take that commitment seriously. Joan did, but Joan didn't have the kind of uh, power over all the departments where Jim really actually is kind of good at. Things that Roger isn't good at. However, Roger has some skills we learn. Speaking of Roger, you know, he's he's made this offer to Don to to come back in and uh and and do that. And again, very unilaterally and very much without talking to the other partners, which is ridiculous. Don walks in uh, expecting things to sort of be prepared for him, at least to some degree, and gets the most awkward morning of his life. Couple things. Couple things about the way this was filmed and then about the content of it. Uh, once again, a madman sort of dreamlike quality because you've got Don sitting in his apartment and you've got a close up of his face in the, in the darkness and you're not sure what day it is and you're not sure if he's thinking about going into the office because it's inter it's intercut with these shots of him going into the office which are very surreal and it feels surreal so there's a whole when yeah. is this what is this is what's real what's not vibe it's all real he's on the phone with Megan that first night now that he has secured that he has a meeting on Monday and then this is the meeting on Monday so that's one thing the other thing about the filming that I also didn't like is it kept being this whole day gets intercut in a very obvious back-to-back way with the, the Betty scenes. It's the Betty's field trip and it's the Don's field trip. And it doesn't work for me at all. It may work for you. Which field trip are you referring to for Don? I guess Don Don's day at the office. 
Oh, I see. Yeah. That didn't feel that way to me. It goes scene by scene to scene, like with, with hard cuts in a, in a very deliberate way that doesn't, it has no meaning for me. No, I don't think if, if that was the intent, it was lost on me. It's really the intent of something. So that's about the filming. And then I, and then just about the content. It's excruciating. It's every single person in that office that he <laughs> yeah. has an interaction with where he has to face yeah. that nobody knows he's there. They're not subtle. It goes on. Well, that's intentional. Yeah. And on it's- and on. And oh, Dawn is, oh, Mr. Draper. Oh, the, how are you? What are you? It's every. It's, it's played for maximum effect. It's so painful. <laughs> well, it's intended to be painful. Absolutely. There's pain involved. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so I thought actually that was well done. No, I very well done. I'm, that, yeah. it, just, just hard to, hard. <laughs> the, the, the back and forth with Don in his apartment. I mean, I was trying to measure the time. I mean, it looked like he was there at least till nine o'clock in his, on his wristwatch, meaning maybe he left his apartment at nine and kind of gave them time to settle as a Monday morning and then go in. I don't know. It reminded me also of when he bought that painting from Midge because he's sitting there on his, his elbows on his knees, leaning forward in that way that he was when he was staring at that painting afterward. I don't know where to take that beyond there, but it was just reminiscent of that. Well, what I saw uh, visually when the guys bring him into the creative room, the yeah. you know, the center creative room, and he's still got his his hat and his coat and I think his briefcase, and then he sits down it really looks like he's a parent visiting nursery school. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like it's this tiny little, it, it looks, you know, it's this like, like I'm, I'm waiting for the finger Too paint. big for the room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Too, yeah. He's like all overdressed for this like hip little, it re- looks like he's at the kid's table. That quickly gets remedied though when Dawn finally comes in and he goes back to, I know how I want you to see me. As this person that to whom you serve, you take my hat and coat. Yes, you can bring me coffee. And later she comes in and offers him to order him lunch. Yeah. I mean, she's doing the best she can at that point. I mean, there's she she's not going to she has to be the one to greet him to the extent anyone's greeting him. It's her. Absolutely. But it's just he's very comfortable for somebody who. Well, he's looking he's looking for an for for an oasis somewhere in this desert of <laughs> awkwardness. You know, he'll take whatever he can get. But it's also, I think, reminiscent. This is the other callback I was referring to earlier. Mm. Bigger one is this is the first time Don uh, Roger hired Don. Roger forgot that he hired him because they were loaded or oh, whatever. Of course, of course, of course. And Don came in the next day and was like, remember, you hired me. And Roger had to sort of, you know, swallow swallow it down and say, of course, here we go. And all the rest. Um, this wasn't quite Roger forgetting. I think Roger intentionally made himself scarce. Yeah, I think so too. To Don's detriment uh, that morning. And it was, you know, making compound, making a bad situation even worse. Also just, it was a bit sitcom-y, which sometimes happens on Mad Men. Don should have confirmed a secretary probably would have called Don to set the time of the meeting. Like some, like Don should have walked in suspicious. Is all I'm saying. Right. He should. Right. He shouldn't have expected a normal walk-in. You're right. That's that's for sure. But but what it gets us to is all of these. Once Roger comes back, he reveals that he did this. You know, it forces the discussion. This is what the panic move resulted in, uh, as panic moves often do. Forces the discussion that you don't want to have, but that you, but that you need to have, because they've been avoiding the subject of Don since. They booted him out. He's been in limbo. They're paying him. And the discussion hasn't even come up. This partner's meeting. Listen, I don't think they coined it a Mad Men podcast. We'll be around long enough for another New Year's countdown. But I would just like to say (laughs) that if we were to do one, this partner's meeting now goes down as one of my top 10 scenes. Agreed. This is. Love it. Incredible. Incredible. You get all their personalities, and they say, right, uh, who said, I'm speaking for Pete. Oh, Roger. I'm uh, speaking for Pete. and uh, Roger says, I'm speaking for Pete. Jim says, I'm speaking for Ted. So you've got you've got the rest of them in there. You've got jo- Joan wearing boots. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, 
really, really nitty gritty kicking around the pros and cons and why we got rid of him and did we get rid of him. And I got to say, Roger Sterling, Don will never know how hard Roger fought for him. Uh That was real fighting and real. And he's drunk. He's had drinks at lunch. (laughs) Um, And he's he's like, that is not what we said. We said this. We never said fired. You said this. You said like it was really good. But that's what was set in motion by the panic move. See, I think that's. He starts rehashing. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the panic move led to to that because you're not having that conversation if Don's not sitting downstairs. So it's very much out of the urgency that that Roger created. And I think it was almost a way, again, maybe subconsciously here, of Roger knowing that this is he's going to have to have this conversation. Again, why he's late, why he's not there, why he doesn't set it up, because it, it has to get to the point where it's falling on him, <laughs> you know, that uh, that that's what happens. And but but you're right. He, he fights. He makes the argument. He's right financially and otherwise, I think. By the way, everyone forgets that this guy's a partner. Like, they, like they think they can just let him go without buying him out. That's ridiculous, right? And the one of the other arguments he made that was, I think it was him who him who made it, was about, do you really want, do you really want some other agency walking in with Don Draper? Like, this is our reputation. Was Don Draper, and we'd be the ones who let him go. It's true, and it's, it's tr- true, and it's true. And and Joan's line, you know, how, how does he fit into everything now? This is like, she's the one who knows every cent that's going in and out of that place. This is working. Now, she knows that every cent has to do with them paying him and that they can't just boot him out. You know, I, I got that sense between that line, which is obviously the 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 con to bringing Don back. But I'll I'll counter that with Bert. When he, Bert's the one who says, we're going to, you know, he's a partner and we have to buy him out. He's the first one that says that. The look on Bert's face was almost like, ah, this is checkmate. Because mm. I think Bert, deep down, Bert wants him back too. Bert doesn't want to sure. fire him. Sure, sure, sure. As, as, as much of a ball buster as he is and dispassionate as he is, I think uh, he's not going to let Jim Cutler call the shots here. Well, he's definitely the first one to start to concede to Roger that, no, we didn't say fired and and we, we said we'd reconsider it. There's also, I, I didn't think, it's interesting, I didn't hear Joan's comment as much about money, but of course Joan is all, is very tick, tick, tick. But she also, yeah. I mean, Don spends his day as he's walking around also wondering where he fits in. I mean, he sees Kenny and Joan come back from a breakfast. He doesn't understand. Joan at a breakfast? So There's just so much that he doesn't understand. And, to- and so totally. it's a fair question. Like, where does he fit? And then we, we, you know, we also, we skip the Peggy and Don brief scene. Well, that was just, you know, a continuation of their difficulty. Again. No, you're not Mr. Around yeah, here. Yeah, you're not Mr. Around right. That's three. And, and. Even though that's a total lie because she, you know, she's working for this. Well, yeah, she's, asshole. yeah, she's, she's, that's about Ted. That's blaming, uh, yeah. that's blaming him for Ted because, because she's in such a miserable situation. You could see not wanting to cut off the Don nose, but, but she's, that's her. That was Ted. That was about Ted. Well, this is the meeting I assumed you were going to have before I came, Roger. Sorry if I disrupted your day, but I've had a productive time catching myself up with everything. Well, we've discussed it, and we've reached the conclusion that we'd like you to come back to work. I'm pleased to hear that. But there are some stipulations. So they they bring him back, and they give him this laundry list of (laughs) ridiculous... And you don't know till the last second how the, you don't first you don't know how that meeting is going to end no. from their perspective. No. You don't know what they're going to decide. Every that's part of what's so yeah. great about that scene. Every step you're like good point, good point, good point, good point. They're leaning towards bringing him back when they cut it off. They're leaning that way. Yeah, but you don't know. The tide is maybe turning. And then they break and then Don brings him in. And <laughs> And then they give him the laundry list and his face is the most 
bitter misery. And they stick a contract in his face, which isn't even addressed with words, but we know how we Don know. feels about a contract. It's everything Don hates. And he's sitting there with a nice offer from Wells Rich Green. And and to me, that's this is this is the this is the period on the end of that sentence with the Emily Arnett. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're not thinking about it the way the way I'm indicating, you're looking at it going, Don, get the fuck out of there. You've got this great offer in your pocket. These guys want you. They're going to treat you like a king. Great salary. I'm sure there's probably equity in there, too. Come on. And he, he does. I don't even think he I think that's not even a consideration right now. Other than them saying he has to sit on top of the building and work outside. I think he would have taken any. It, it's It's more of a no brainer than we think. And that's what's so great about it. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective. Uh, But again, you don't, maybe you did. Maybe based on what you being kind of grounded in that as a theory, were positive what Don was going to do. Only afterward, by the way. Yeah, fair. No, fair. Because you don't. (laughs) I loved watching it. It Because it's everything they're saying, you know, so, you know, I very smartly, Joan made sure that this happened, which is any breach of any of these offenses are fireable and... You are no longer a partner. We no longer have to... Buy you out. We we no longer have to have this you know, difficult conversation about your shares. And honestly, they could turn around and fire him tomorrow if they if they wanted to. But but we, we're going to assume from this moment that that's not what happens tomorrow. But, the you know, it's, it's, it's you're not allowed to be alone with a client. You're not allowed to drink unless it's, you know, uh, for sanctioned <laughs> for yeah. work. Yeah. You're not allowed to go off script, which means we have to approve your scripts. And finally, you report to Lou Avery. The indignity of indignity. I mean, they just stick it and stick it and stick it. And then, ouch! And his face is like full of disgust. Oh, he's he's swallowing every ounce that they're giving him. And, and it hurts. genius delivery of, okay. <laughs> and then cut to Hendrix. Yeah. Incredible. One of the, one of the great episode yeah. endings. It is. It is. And I, I, again, in in thinking about it afterward, in the moment, you know, it was just delicious. But, you know, like when Don, was it last episode or the episode before? A day's work, maybe, where he's sitting outside in the cold. You know, it's more self-punishment. Mm. It's I, more think that was, self-punishment. I think that was the one before. I think it was the yeah. first one. It's more self-punishment. It's more I've put myself here. I've been consequence-free. For so many of my sins, not all of them, but for so many of my sins, and I've I've done it again, you know, with with Megan. It's all chickens are coming home to roost. I deserve what I'm getting. It's also he said he'd fix it to Megan. <laughs> this is he's trying to get Megan back. This is his only version of fixed. A new job is. She would have been fine with it because he doesn't get her at all. <laughs> but in his mind, this is what fixed is. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, you know, we haven't talked about the drinking in this episode. We see him the night before he goes to L.A. Now he's talked to Dawn and he's talked to Alan. And we see him sit down with a bottle. Maybe it's wine. Something. But he does sit down with a bottle. And then on the plane, he says, tomato juice. Yeah, I don't think we really see him drink this episode. He says to Megan, I'm drinking less. So that yeah. him trying to manage himself as an alcoholic is is present. Um, we don't see him drink much, but it's it's there. It's part of it. It's It's one of the things that he needs fixing. So he doesn't see... He doesn't see a problem with with maintaining their that piece of the contract. He doesn't see that not drinking is going to be a challenge for him. Maybe a challenge, right. but not but a challenge he can meet. He doesn't see because he doesn't see the out of control nature of what alcoholism no, is. No, he hasn't. He hasn't uh, committed admitted to uh, you know twelve <laughs> steps or yeah, anything he hasn't close. admitted powerlessness. I mean, he he hasn't. So yeah. So he's now turned there. his turned his will and his life over to this new contract, and that's what's going to keep him. More sober-ish. So we're three <laughs> episodes in to the final season. That's a wild episode three. It's wild. It, it's it's crazy. It's beyond. It's it's beautiful. I love all this setup because 
it's not just setup. I mean, there's actual stuff happening. No, there's tons to chew on, ton, tons to eat, tons of meat. The craft, the craft of these episodes is staggering to me. I just think what they're doing is really, really great. I love watching them do it. Again, I, I, I'm so not remembering, you know, the sequence of things and what happens and you know, I remember, was there a time, yeah, where Don's working for Lou? Yeah, we'll get to that, I guess. You know, <laughs> then you see it happen, you go, well, yeah, that that's how we got there. It's great. It's great. Let's take a break and do quotes. What's your quote, Dan? I went back and forth on a couple things, um, but I really love Bobby's quote, the night after the field trip. I wish it was yesterday. I think took that and sort of applied it to everybody. <laughs> it's, it's everything. It's the whole goddamn show. It's the whole, I mean, it's life in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. It's just it's just a kid who's, yeah. whose mom is making him feel bad. Forget about the right or wrong of it. He, he thinks he thinks his crime was worse than it is because of Totally. That. He feels, you he, know? he definitely feels guilty and, and, <laughs> and he shouldn't have done it and whatever. And zero comfort from mom. Yeah. Now she's awful. I wish it was yesterday. What's yours? So mine is so much less profound. Mm. Francine says, one of my clients told me I redefined the definition of first class. Hey, now. Redefined the definition. (laughs) Now, that is just great writing. Because a writer writer would want to clean that shit up. No. Francine talks how Francine talks. These writers know how people talk and how Francine talks. One of my clients told me I redefined the definition of first class. Yeah. You know, I know I'm a I'm a I'm a lib <laughs> grammar whatever, but I I just loved it. I thought it was so I was like, wait, did she just what? My wife Fantastic. has a t-shirt that says, I'm silently correcting your grammar. Yeah, exactly. And I, I <laughs> and I'm rarely <laughs> silent about it, but I just it was just so again, a, a, a lesser perfect. writer's room yeah. would have not let that out. Can um can I throw in an honorable mention? Sure. Uh Roger <laughs> when someone brings up Harry to Roger, he says, He's gone. Anything else? <laughs> <laughs> This is after Harry's like proven his value, impressed Jim, you know, all this, all this stuff. He's gone. What else? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jim's like, no, that's, that's not what I wanted, but okay, we'll get to it. <laughs> Fantastic episode. Oh, loved it. Loved it. Uh, episode four next week is the monolith, which I recall is another good one. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I, I th- yeah, I, I think I know what the monolith refers to in general, but that's all I can recall. No, I, no idea what we're in for. Fantastic. All right. Thank you all. So thanks, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We, we appreciate it. Next time. See ya. If you would like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash theycoinedpod for bonus content and extras. For cool swag, visit etsy.com slash shop slash theycoinedstore. Neat looking shirts, hoodies, and tchotchkes. Another way to support us is to leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts. Email us questions at theycoinedpod.com, Twitter and Instagram at TCI Pod. They Coined It is produced and edited by Roberta Lipp. Our logo and merch graphics are by Albert Stern of Stickrest Arts. Our theme is from Adam Tilford. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dan Jasper. See you next time.